morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good. We are currently uh, in a series of messages uh, from the book of Nehemiah. And so if you haven't been following, let me just recap quickly that uh, God had called Nehemiah to lead his people in rebuilding the, the wall and the gates of Jerusalem uh, that had lain in ruins for many years. And we saw last week in chapter 3 how so many diverse people were involved in that rebuilding work. There were nobles and tradesmen, blue collar, white collar, young and old, different clans, different tribes, all involved in the building work. Uh, everyone had a part to play, and everyone played their part because God's name was at stake. But not everyone was happy about the, uh, what was going on there. And uh, when we get to chapter 4, we see that actually there's some intense opposition uh, to the work from the surrounding nations, which are represented by three main characters in the story. There's Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. In fact, I managed to find a photograph of them right here. That's them there. <laughs> and we encounter the first two um, there in the beginning of chapter 4. We're going to read from Nehemiah 4, verse 1. It says, Now when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Are they going to revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And then Tobiah the Ammonite who was beside him, and he said, yeah, what they're building. If a fox goes up on the wall, it's going to break down their stone wall. Nehemiah prays. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the lands where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And so he says, we built the wall. That's the best answer, by the way. Don't get into it. Don't start responding in the same way. Just get on with what God has called you to do. Get on and build the wall. And then all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And so we prayed to our God. We set a guard as a protection against them day and night. And then down to verse 14, he says, I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Amen. The opposition against God's work and against God's people is relentless. In fact, um, 
Later on in Nehemiah 6, chapter 6, these three stooges, they try to set an ambush for Nehemiah. They're trying to get him to, down from the wall to stop the, the building going on, and they try to reason with him. Say, come, look, come and meet with us. Let's have a meeting. Let's have a conference. Uh, let's talk about this. And it says there that they intended to harm him. Right? There was a plot, but Nehemiah saw through it. And this is what he says to them in chapter 6, verse 3. He says, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. And then a little later, he says, Now, O God, strengthen my hands. Later on in chapter 6, we saw last week how that work, the rebuilding of the walls and the gates and everything, it was completed in just 52 days. We see that at the end of Nehemiah 6. It was uh, miraculous, nothing short of miraculous, particularly when you consider it was done by this ragtag group of people. In fact, they reckon probably only a few hundred people. And we're talking about, it says, goldsmiths and governors, perfumers and priests. I mean, they were the ones who were doing it. To put it in perspective, 400 years later, King Herod embarked upon a building project uh, to restructure the temple there in Jerusalem, and it took 10,000 skilled laborers over 80 years to complete it. So, how did Nehemiah and his people rebuild the city walls and gates in just 52 days, especially considering the opposition that they faced? You know, was it just down to Nehemiah's charismatic leadership? There's no doubt that Nehemiah was a great leader. And in fact, I think there's much that leaders can learn today from his example in this story. And there are many great church leaders today, doing great things, building big churches, but it's hardly miraculous. You know, most uh, church growth techniques are based on proven marketing strategies today, certainly here in the West. So was it the sheer hard work then of the people? Uh, they certainly had a mind to work, uh, every one of them played a part. Certainly couldn't have been done without them. But then if you read on, you see there came a point where their strength literally gave out. So how was the work accomplished? Well, Nehemiah was very clear about it. He says in chapter 6, verse 16, he says, And when all our enemies heard of it, the completion of the, the building, he says, All the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. You see, it was the hand of God enabling them, God enabling them. And it was miraculous because it was a work of God. And as I said last week, isn't that what we need to see in the church today? Here in the West, isn't that what we need to see today? Listen to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is considered one of the greatest preachers of the last century. He was preaching this just over 50 years ago now. But he says this. He says, we can produce a number of converts. Thank God for that. And that goes on regularly in evangelical churches every Sunday, if only. But the need today, he says, is much too great for that. The need today is for an authentication of God, of the supernatural of the spiritual, of the eternal. He says when God acts, he can do more in a minute 
the man with his organizing can do in 50 years. I believe that. Do you believe that? Now, that was then. How much more is that true of us here uh, today? How much more do we need to see a move of God uh, today here? And it's not just the church as a whole uh, that needs God's help, but actually every believer who makes up the church in the circumstances and the situations that we all face. Uh, I mean, I just wonder how many of you all here today are facing a situation right now that needs a miracle. I just wonder how many are looking to God, needing to see a miracle. That might be for a friend or for a family member. It might be for yourself. Um, whether, you know, whether it's uh, raising children or finances, you know, building marriages or businesses, uh, whether it's seeing people delivered from addiction, the horrors of addiction, or being set free from the effects of abuse, or the healing of, a, of someone's body um, that is life-threatening, uh, or seeing loved ones come to faith, or the prodigals coming home. All of these things need more resources, more grace, more wisdom, more strength, more power than any of us have within ourselves. The need is too great. What we need can only truly be accomplished with the help of our God. How will we see that happen then? How did Nehemiah and his people see God's hand at work? What's the key, do you think, that we see in the passage that we just read? What's the key to this? Prayer. Prayer. Did you see that in the passage? In fact, it's been all along. Right at the beginning of the series, in chapter 1, it began with Nehemiah in prayer. He's praying. When he came before the king asking permission to go to Jerusalem and he was fearful of the king's response, what did he do? Prayed. In fact, what he says is, he said, I prayed to the God of heaven and then I said to the king. That's how it was for Nehemiah. We see the same thing in chapter 4 uh, that we just read. When they were being mocked by their enemies, Nehemiah's response is, hear us, O God. Takes it to God in prayer. And then, when the opposition intensified, he says in verse 9, and we pray to our God. Now the whole community is praying. And again, when we get to chapter 6, as we saw, when they intended him harm, Nehemiah prays, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. We find prayer is woven right through this story. Nehemiah is talking to God the whole time. It's like he's in a constant conversation with God, just like Jesus was all through his life. You know, we see Jesus in the face of uh, great need, in the face of the demands, uh, continual demands of others, in the, in the face of intense opposition, he was often praying to his father, wasn't he? Right? In his hour of greatest need, as he faced the horror of the cross, where do we find him? It's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. He overcame through prayer. And that's how the early church overcame as well, because they followed his example. Right? The, the early church was literally birthed in prayer. It was as they were praying, it says, the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 2. 
and resulted in 3,000 people coming to faith that day. And then they started hitting opposition as the rulers in Jerusalem uh, began to threaten them. So what did they do? They prayed. They took it to God. And they received fresh strength and boldness, it says, to continue to get on with the work. You read the book of Acts. Time and time again, we see miracles, healing, uh, divine uh, appointments, divine guidance, angelic visitations that all come as a result of prayer. Right? Paul and Silas thrown in prison in Acts 16. They're beaten up by their opponents. They're put in the stocks. What do they do? They're singing and praying to God. It results in a miraculous earthquake, it seems, with the pr prison doors being flung open and the jailer and his whole family are converted. You know, the, the early Christians, they faced terrible hardship and opposition, and yet they overcame with the help of God, right? That's how Nehemiah and his people overcame, right? The key was prayer. Now, here's the thing, okay? Here's the thing. I think the majority of us here today probably know that, right? I suspect we all believe in the power of prayer. I don't need to preach that to you, right? I'm sure we all know that. But the thing is, if we truly believe that prayer is the key, are we praying like we believe it? Because I have to say, for myself, if I'm honest, I'd have to say no. At least not as much as I feel I would want to, or as I feel like I need to. Why is that? Well, there's lots of kind of reasons for it, but let me just give you two quickly. First of all, there is spiritual opposition to us praying. Do you know that? Nehemiah encountered opposition, and so will we. Right? We have a spiritual enemy, the same as Jesus had, who hates us praying, because he understands the power of prayer, maybe better than we do. And so he will do everything he can to distract us, demotivate us and discourage you and I from praying, right? So don't be surprised if it feels like it's a battle at times, because it is, it is. And I wonder again how many of you here uh, know that to be true from your own experience. You know, it, it can be a battle. There's a reason for that. The other thing, the second thing is that um, we give up too easily. You know, we don't we don't always see immediate results, do we? We don't always see what God is doing in response to our prayers. And so we, you know, we can lose confidence and stop praying. You know, prayer just becomes a kind of last resort, doesn't it? Like, you know, I've tried everything else, and I guess I'll pray. But you can be sure that whenever you pray to God with a sincere heart, okay, God is at work for good. He is at work for God. Listen to uh, Nicky Gumbel, who's the author of the Alpha, Alpha Course. Listen to what he says. He says, when we pray, God hears more than we say, answers more than we ask, and gives more than we imagine in his own time and in his own way. I believe that's true. I believe that's true. Do you believe that? It's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, to persevere in prayer, and to not give up 
on a number of occasions, he really wanted to instill that in his disciples to keep on praying and to not give up. There's a reason for that. See, I think um, for us, the problem is, as someone once said, we're into microwaving, whereas God's more into marinating, right? We need to have faith that God is at work whenever we pray, but he is not a dispensing machine. He is our heavenly Father who desires to have a relationship with us, his children. As I mentioned, what we see there in the life of Nehemiah is he seems to always be in conversation with God, talking to God the whole time. Uh, just as Jesus was always talking to the Father. Right? Prayer is not a requirement. Prayer is a relationship. It's about relationship. It's not... It's not just about having a, a prayer time, a quiet time. You know, where good as that is, and helpful though that is, right? It's good to set aside time, time to pray, and to be in God's Word, and to be disciplined about that, and to, you know, spend time, uh, maybe early in the day. That's good, but that's not all it is. You see, there's also this walking with God in prayer. Can kind of continually... Uh, talking to him through the day, as you might a friend, you know, go, as you're going along, sharing your, your thoughts, your concerns, your longings, as well as your gratitude. You're giving thanks to him for things and praising him for the things that are happening. Maybe praying as you go to sleep, praying when you get up, praying in the shower, praying in the car, praying before a meeting, praying after a phone call, you know, prayer should be like breathing. It's the breath of a child of God. Um, maybe that's what Paul meant when he told the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. But you see, it doesn't have to be long, wordy, theological prayers. But like Nehemiah is going through, the, going through this, saying, Lord, help me. Help us, O God. Lord, give me strength. Maybe you see a situation, someone asks you to pray for them, and you say, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you, and then you forget, right? How often do we do that, right? Why not just pray right there and then? See, it doesn't have to be a long prayer. I think sometimes we don't pray because we think a short prayer is somehow uh, less spiritual and inadequate. You know, it feels a bit inadequate. But we've got to understand it's not the length and the eloquence of our praying that counts, it's who we're praying to. That's what counts. It's our heavenly Father who knows our hearts. And he's always listening. He's not like me. He's not like us fathers who are kind of half listening to our children while we're doing something else, like watching the ball game. Right? No. No, he delights in you. Right? He wants you to talk to him. He's always listening. Right? In fact, let me just pray for us right now. Can we just pray for this? Because I feel like I need this myself, and I'm sure I'm not the only one here. I want to grow in this day by day. Don't you? Talking with God through the day. Can we just ask God to help us in that? Heavenly Father, we just pray right now. We just stop right now to pray. And we ask you to please help us, Lord. You, thank you that you desire to have this intimate relationship with us as your children. And I thank you, Father, that you've given us your Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And it's the Spirit in us who cries, Abba, Father. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, will you 
help each one of us here today uh, as we walk through our days, as we walk through life, uh, to be uh, talking to our Father in heaven, sharing, uh, Lord, our concerns, uh, the cries of our hearts. Uh, Lord, help us in this, we pray. And Lord, I just ask you for those miracles that, Lord, that I just mentioned earlier, those different things that came to people's minds, I pray right now, Heavenly Father, will you break into those situations? Hear us, O God, we pray. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come, Lord, in each one of those situations, your rule and your reign. Heavenly Father, will you come in power and in compassion, Lord, to bring life, Lord, to bring healing, to bring salvation, whatever is needed. I pray, O God, will you intervene and break through, Lord, into those situations? We ask in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, what does amen mean? So be it. Which actually um, highlights another thing that we see in this uh, passage about when we all agree together and say amen, right? Praying together. Because each one of us, you see, we can have a personal relationship with God, but that's not all it is. Christianity is not about individualism. God calls us into community as something that is both uh, vital and necessary, right? Necessary for us and necessary for advancing his kingdom. And it's necessary for us because life is a battle. And on our own, we can often easily get overwhelmed and want to give up. We need one another. We see an example of this in Exodus 17 when the Amalekites came against Israel. They came to fight Israel. And so Moses, he got Joshua to gather together some men to go and meet the enemy to defend uh, Israel against them. Meanwhile, Moses went up onto the mountain and he raised his hands to God, which is a picture of prayer. And it says there that as his hands remained lifted, so the battle was going their way. They were prevailing against their enemy. But his, his arms grew weary um, and, and they began losing the battle. And so that his friends, Aaron and Hur, came alongside him, one either side, and they lifted his hands. Remained there till sunset. They helped him, stood with him, and so the battle was won. Listen, that is a picture for us, right? That little story is there for a reason. It's telling us something, isn't it? It's telling us something. We need one another. Maybe you need someone to help you in lifting your hands. Right? Are your hands growing weary? Are you, are you in a situation right now where you are growing weary? Almost like at the point of just throwing it, the towel in. Things not going well. You need someone alongside you. Or is there someone you know who's going through it right now? Maybe a friend of yours. Uh, someone you know who the, who, who's going through it. Who you could go and stand with. Go and pray with them. Now, I can't tell you how many times when I've faced tough situations myself and often at the point of being overwhelmed, how much I've been strengthened by people coming and standing with me in prayer. Strength comes when we pray for, uh, with others, right? So often I think we feel like we, we just have to carry our burdens alone. God doesn't want that. He's called us to be a community where we share our burdens so we can be strengthened. You know, at the end of uh, chapter 4, we read there in verse 19, 
Nehemiah said this to the people. He said, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. So in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, for our gods will fight for us. Listen, in today's world, in our society here today, um, even with technology and social media and everything, um, it would seem that people are feeling more and more separated from one another, more and more isolated. Is that true? Right? We read about that all the time. And, th and you, maybe you're feeling that way yourself. You feel isolated. You feel alone. Maybe you're facing a difficult situation, carrying a burden alone. Listen, you need to sound the trumpet. Or get one of us to sound the trumpet, right? So that others can rally to you and, and pray with you so God can fight for you, all right? We won't know unless you sound the trumpet and ask for help. How could we know? You need to sound the trumpet. You need to ask, right? So we can come to you, stand with you in prayer. Right? So if you're in a small group, ask them to pray for you. Come for prayer at the end of this meeting. We'd love to pray for you, to stand with you this morning. Ask a friend. Right? We miss the point of Christianity if we just see it as personal and individual. You read in Acts 2, the end of Acts 2, it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Right? Fellowship was their communal life together. It says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. You can't do that alone. It's called communion for a reason. They devoted themselves, it says, to prayer. They often prayed together. They gathered to pray. And Jesus had told them how to pray. He taught them. And he said, this is how you pray. Our Father. Not my Father. Our Father. Can you see? That's telling us something. There's a reason for that. There's something that is vital and essential about the communal aspect of our faith and including when we pray. We're better together. There is power in that. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 19. He says, If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Right? Just... Two or three people coming together in agreement to ask God for something can move heaven. There is power when we pray together. Don't underestimate the power of husbands and wives praying together, of families praying together, of friends praying together. All right? Don't underestimate the power of those prayers. When God's people gather to pray, whether it's in twos and threes or small groups or uh, a church coming together to pray, or even churches coming together to pray. Heaven bends its ear. All right? We begin to see things happening that can only be the hand of God. Jonathan Edwards was convinced of that. Jonathan Edwards wrote a book um, about it in 1746 called A Humble Attempt to Promote Prayer for Revival. He was probably the greatest pastor and theologian to come out of New England, probably out of, the, out of America. And he lived during a time of spiritual awakening on both sides of the Atlantic when 10% of the people of New England came to faith within just a few short years. 
Uh, in fact, in his own tiny town of Northampton, 300 people were converted in just six months. Uh, and Edwards understood that prayer was the key. And in fact, this is what he wrote. He said this. He said, when God is about to do a mighty new thing, he always sets his people praying. And I think many of us here have felt that stirring. That God is wanting to do a mighty new thing. Many of us have, maybe for a while, been sensing that stirring. That's why we want to set aside January as a month of prayer. Where we'll take a break from our small groups We'll be gathering here each midweek uh, through January to worship and to pray. But I don't want to wait till January. And, uh, actually, I'd like us to participate in a global prayer event called Enough. Um, it's going to take place on Friday, 15th of November. It's an event that's been um, organized by some New Frontiers churches in the UK it takes place two or three times a year, uh, but it's a global event with churches all over the world gathering in kind of hub locations to agree together in prayer. I think we've got a map of some of those uh, locations. So there are hubs uh, where churches are gathering to pray in Peru, uh, United States, Spain, in the UK, Germany, Holland, Japan, France, uh, Sweden, Kenya, and I notice there's a couple in the Middle East there uh, on the map. In the United States, there's uh, uh, Indiana. I don't know who they are, but they're part of it. Uh, and then there's Portsmouth. That's us. And our churches in Boston will be joining with us that evening. And our church plant in Brooklyn, New York, will be uh, with us by a live video uh, link. Uh, so that's what's going to happen uh, on that evening. It's called Enough because we want to say enough to the brokenness and the injustice in our world. And also because God is enough. Right? God is the answer to those things. The goal is to have 20,000 people praying uh, in 2020. So I'd love for us to be a part of that. Uh, and so as you saw, the next one is on November 15th on that Friday night. It's going to be like a half evening of prayer. Uh, for us, it probably starts about 6 o'clock, go to 11, because it starts with a meal. Families come together, children are involved, and uh, there'll be some fun activities for them. Um, it starts with... Uh, that and communion. Then it goes on to worship and testimony with thanksgiving. Uh, and then we pray into some of these things for the church, uh, for the broken world. This, uh, this year, or in November, the focus there is going to be more on uh, slavery issues uh, around the world, trafficking and things like that. So we can pray for our friends in Mumbai there. And then pioneering works. So we'll be having the video linked to our church plant in Brooklyn, possibly our church in Istanbul, be praying into those things. And then globally, there's going to be a focus on November 15th uh, on seeing a move of God in Scandinavia. don't know why they decided that, but Scandinavia, everyone's going to agree together. So if, you're, if you are from a Scandinavian heritage, you need to be here, okay? So we can pray for that. Um, let me just show you a quick video, and then we'll close. Uh, the video was actually produced for churches in the UK to explain about this, but it will just help us to see a little bit more. In the 1700s, there was a preacher named Jonathan Edwards who was instrumental in encouraging churches both in the UK and in America to gather together both to worship and to pray at the same time in the same place 
it led to massive breakthroughs, spiritual awakenings or revivals in both the UK and in America. History, as well as the Bible, teaches us that moves of God always begin with prayer and enough is our humble attempt to apply this lesson. Enough is a half night of prayer, it's held on a Friday night and it's held three times a year and it's an opportunity for churches across the world to get together to pray at the same time for the same thing. Eating together around a table is something that we do with family, we do it with friends and it speaks about having relationship with one another. Jesus did this a lot with the disciples and on one occasion he broke bread and he passed wine around and said do this in remembrance of me. So when we get together at Enough we do the same, we eat together and we break bread and we drink wine. This evening I found it wonderful to eat with others. Um, I got to have a long conversation which was so refreshing. It actually centred me and focused me for what was what was coming this, this evening. What we love about Enough is that it involves the whole family, young and old, in age and in faith. We're all learning to pray together and Proverbs 22 talks about how if you train a child in the way they should go, they're not going to depart from it. They look forward to Enough. They like the fact that they're going to stay up till midnight. They enjoy getting together with their friends and playing, but having food together and praying in groups. And they really like the fact that they can write to church planters all around the world and they even get to hear feedback. And then right at the end of the evening, they're in their pyjamas and they crash out on the floor waiting for it all to end. Through coming to Enough, my daughter has seen that prayer is an exciting thing, that prayer is um, worth investing time in, that prayer is um, powerful. Um, she's seen the whole community engaging with post-it notes and paper airplanes and lots of different ways to pray. <laughs> we love enough! A key component of enough is uniting together with others in prayer. Jonathan Edwards talked about this as being visible union and he envisaged multitudes of people gathering together locally and in other nations as well. We make sure that we keep that global perspective before us all the time, having live Skypes with people that are in church planting situations or feedback videos from other nations, just to make sure that we've got that wide lens on all that we do. Sometimes when we get together to pray, it's easy to come with our own agenda. But actually, Jonathan Edwards talked about having an explicit agreement when we gather to pray. And that really means that we just come together and pray for the same thing together at the same time. The way we do that at Enough is to have five themes that we pray through every time we get together. Jonathan Edwards talked about how as we agree, we will see nations around the world being spiritually awakened. In Matthew 21, Jesus encourages us to pray, but to believe and to expect answers to our prayers. So when we're together at Enough, we expect specific answers to prayers. We always feed back and we celebrate them. It's amazing to be able to do that each time. When we gather together as a group of people, we can hear each other's struggles, but we can also hear each other's breakthroughs. And you can see things actually change as you really commit the time to just talk to him about what's going on. He really listens, he really cares, and he really does make, make things happen. And when we and declare that God is good, it stirs real faith for breakthrough, and it stirs real faith um, that change can come. One writer on prayer 
said that prayer is where the action is. And so this is your invitation to come along and join the action at the next Enough event. So I just want to invite all of you to join us on that evening uh, here. It's going to be a great event, uh, so do put that on your calendars. We'll be sharing more about that in the weeks to come. Let me close just by uh, reading a verse again from Nehemiah. Nehemiah 4, verse 14. He says this, Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Whatever situation you're facing today, remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And he goes on to say, our God will fight for us. And one of the ways we remember the Lord is by taking communion together. Because uh, Jesus said that we should do this in remembrance of him, didn't he? And what are we remembering? Not just that he died on the cross, but actually we're remembering the victory that he won for us through the cross. And that's why the Apostle Paul says whenever we do this, we're proclaiming his death until he comes. We're proclaiming uh, the victory of the cross, all that he accomplished for us. Uh, when on the cross, he said, it is finished. Right? Enough. He said, enough to Satan, sin, and death. And his sacrifice there guaranteed that one day all evil and injustice, all pain and suffering will one day finally cease. But until that day, he is fighting for us. Right? So it says in Romans 8 that even now he's at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for you and I. And so as we come this morning uh, to take communion together, let's come with thanksgiving for what he's done for us. Uh, we'll take it together. Um, uh, but then I'm going to lead us in prayer uh, as we close for our families, for loved ones, uh, for those who really need him, all right, that he would fight uh, for them. All right, and then there'll be an opportunity for people here to receive prayer as, we, as people go this morning. All right, so let's stand together.